Well, good morning to you again. You're wondering how many good mornings can there be in any given morning. <laughs> I hope it is triply good for you this morning. It's a privilege again to stand before you, to speak to you from God's Word. It's actually a privilege to have all of you here as students, some of you in my classes, but all of you here studying at Emmaus Bible College. I appreciate your passion for the gospel, for the things of the Lord, your interest in your relationship with God, and for your walk with Him. I consider it a privilege, actually, to be able to be here, not just speaking today, but to be in this environment where God's Word comes first. I would like to continue uh, in the series sort of I began a month ago on marks of godliness. What is it that marks out a person as being godly, being characterized by things pertaining to God? And uh, we began uh, looking at the commandments in Deuteronomy and their echoes in the book of Proverbs the last time pointed out how many, uh, many people who are maybe sincere in their zeal perhaps missed the point of these commandments. So when the Lord says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And then down in verse 8 of what you have before you in Deuteronomy 6, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, frontlets between your eyes, write them on the doorposts of your house. And they, in their zeal, they do follow many of these literally, although you can't actually follow them literally. You can't put all of the law of God there. And in a way, maybe miss the point, if you miss the beginning of it, which is that Everything I command you today shall be where? On your heart. And very often in our circles, as we grow up going to Sunday school, Awana, VBS, we give a lot of importance to Bible memorization, and that is a very good thing. But memorizing the Bible is not necessarily the same thing as having it in your heart. And you say, ah, you're talking about the distinction between heart and mind. No, I'm not. Because in the Hebrew, actually, there's no distinction. They are the, the same words are used to all parts of our internal constitution. So, but memorizing something is not the same as making that part of your outlook. You follow what I'm saying? Memorizing the commandments of God is not identical to wanting to follow them. To have the instructions of God on my heart is a commitment to live by them. I remember a conversation which I don't like to remember very much. It is um, from my youth, a few more years than where you're at today. I had... Uh, um, sought an opportunity and I was turned down and I called this person he was dean of a medical school he actually took my call I said what can I do to make myself a better candidate and he said 
it's not what you do, but what you are that is important. All of us now, those of you who are seniors in senior seminar are being instructed about building your resumes. And we can actually go through life building resumes. Sunday school teaching, check. VBS participation, check. Awana leader, check. Volunteering, and we actually kind of force you to do these things. Volunteering for public service, check. But the question is, what are you? What are your sincere, deepest commitments? Do, does my conduct come out of my commitments to truth, commitments to God? And the, the psalm we shall look at today asks this question again. It reminds me actually of God's words uh, to uh, his servant Abraham. His God's servant Abraham was, is our model for salvation through faith, right? He's, he's the, the representative, the, the paradigm for the fact that justification is by faith. Uh, Genesis 15 and verse 6. Abraham believed God, God reckoned that to him, accounted that for him, put that in the ledger for Abraham for righteousness, that he believed God. But then in come to 17, and God says to him, walk before me and be perfect. This is walk before me and be perfect. He says, Abraham, yes. You believe me, and that is why you have a relationship with me. And so the great error in religion is to think of our relationship with God as consisting of merely keeping rules. And it, it has crept into forms of Christianity as well. Uh, again, these are religious activities or commitments, and you check the boxes. They have done that. Gone to church, he has done that. Got baptized, he has done that. Attend Mass, <laughs> the Lord's Supper, done that. And very often, or we have, you might have grown up in a system where there's the ordnung, the regulation that should govern and kind of is falsely thought of as contributing to some righteousness. So it's not, it says, Abraham, God says, so Abraham recognized the, the, the fact that, you know, God is the ultimate, he trusted in him and we come to recognize also from the teaching of our Lord, uh, contrasting the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, both of whom came before God and prayed, and one admitted to his sin, the other displayed no awareness of his own inherent sinfulness, and the Lord said, the tax collector who smote his breast acknowledges sin and asked God to forgive him, went home justified, the other, home, the other one did not. So there's a fundamental need for all of us to say, I fall short. I do not meet up to the standards of God. Knowing and receiving justification as a free gift from God by grace through faith, on the other hand, doesn't mean that you, as someone, and I, created in the image of God, should continue in sin. So part of the gospel message or a character of the gospel, that it is the power of God leading to salvation, the power not only to justify, but also to transform. And the transformation 
here requires a commitment on my part to please God. So what we have even in commandments like this and elsewhere in the Old Testament is really the new covenant reality. What's a new covenant after all? Jeremiah 31, 31. When God makes a new covenant, he will write his laws on our heart. And this is what Moses is telling Israel back in Deuteronomy. God is telling through Moses, these commandments that I give you today shall be on your heart. They should be ours to live by. And what are insights then into these commandments of God as the manifestation of new covenant realities? Uh, David here begins by asking the question rhetorically, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? What a supposition. What a supposition that mere mortals, mere men, sinful men, could possibly be under the same roof as God. <laughs> Says, Lord, what, what kind of person can stay in your tent? Now, uh, if you haven't gotten that far, those who are in Old Testament survey, I doubt that you have gotten not into First Kings yet. When um, David brings the Ark of God, which has been kind of languishing in a town called Kiryat Yarim, about 10 miles away from Jerusalem, where he is now, he's made it Jerusalem his capital, conquered the Jebusite city, moved his dwelling there, set up his palace there. And the next thing David does is saying, the Ark of God, I want it here. And he brings it, has it transported, doesn't make it all the way to where it should be, but it comes into the area of Jerusalem, it's about 10 miles from where it had been. And later on, he actually makes a tabernacle, a tent for this Ark of God to represent the house of God before Solomon's temple. Could be the reference to sojourning in your tent. Who will dwell, he says, on your holy hill. There's a supposition here that you and I have the, the opportunity, the privilege or have been designed, actually, to live with God. Sit ever across your mind. <laughs> the reason that you and I have been made is to live with God. This is the, the mind-blowing thing about the gospel and the biblical revelation as we find it. God created us, really, to keep him company, to be with him. Our supposition of God, God Almighty, he is Almighty, creator of the universe, larger ever than it has seemed to us before, all, all powerful, beyond our comprehension. Can't imagine what it would take to create this universe of billions of billions of galaxies, right? Billion galaxies of billions of stars. That's the current count. And he made it all in one word. But this one created this motley lot of beings on this minuscule part of the universe. But he created us in his image and likeness which sets us apart from the rest of what exists with the purpose of being with him forever. It's totally amazing. Don't you think it is amazing and wonderful? And God really has given us an inkling into this truth already where when David, elsewhere David says, you know, oh, I would rather be a, a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than elsewhere. He wants to be in the presence of the Lord. This is the ultimate thing, to be with God. 
And it's the ultimate thing because I've been made for this. <laughs> and, you know, book of Revelation, you're familiar with the last chapter. It says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with people. Amazing thing. God is going to live with people. And here, David is asking the question, Lord, what sort of people can be in your presence? Can come before you? And you and I, we should recognize that ultimately it takes a thorough purging of our sin. It takes our glorification, a complete eradication of sin. But what is it to be not sinful? What is it to have a character and conduct that is pleasing to God? And we get insights into it. These are summarizations and paraphrases of what is already given in the law. What sort of a person may hope to, expect to be with God. The first one says, he who walks blamelessly. The same kind of instruction is given to Abraham in Genesis 17, before the law. He who walks blamelessly, whose walk is perfect or faultless, and does what is right, a conduct that is upright, not blameworthy. Can you think of behaviors of other people that you find fault with? If they, what, if they speak badly of people, if they promise things and don't keep their word, if they are unfaithful, if they are given to things which are destructive, if their interactions with people are, are kind of not nice. There are many things. A very general term is not. David here speaks in, in very broad terminology. One whose walk is not blameworthy. It's blameless. He does what is right. And ultimately, ultimately, our sensibilities about right and wrong come from God's instruction in his word. This is why, this is why God's word is important. I do not naturally have insight into every aspect of conduct that is correct. Believe me, sometimes it took me decades as I'm reading the Bible to say, man, that is wrong. And that is the attitude I have kept with me all my life. These do not always appear to us in their full clarity like we should. There are many subtle things about the deviousness of sin which has got us under its tentacles and we haven't freed ourselves of those things. And it takes God's word and reflection on it and wanting to live in a way that ultimately, my, 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 and here's the concern of the psalm, my ultimate concern should be that I want to please God. And pleasing God, you will see, it's not just the vertical thing between me and God. I, will, I don't want to jump ahead of where I am in the text. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and then speaks the truth in his heart. Well, there's nothing, no improvement to be made for honesty. You can't improve on honesty. Now, you can be wise in regard to what all things you speak where. That's prudence. <laughs> Having discretion. So, Honesty doesn't mean that I blurt out everything that comes to my mind at, uh, in whatever situation. That's unwise. It is imprudent. And God's word 
in wisdom teaches us against such carelessness. But honesty still means that I am truthful in all my interactions with people. You could go to other places in the New Testament, Second uh, Corinthians, for, for instance, where Paul speaks of the way he dealt with believers and people outside. Sincerity, godly simplicity. Sincerity and godly simplicity, not, not subterfuge of any kind, not deception of any kind. And I want to be this kind of person. So David asks, Lord, who? <laughs> who can be with you, Lord? Who can be in your tent, in your house, dwell with you? One whose walk is blameless, does what is right, speaks the truth in his heart. God is not only concerned about, you know, one of the things that does not appear in passages like this is about offering sacrifices. You'll be surprised. Whenever, whenever the Old Testament talks about, Lord, what is pleasing conduct to you? Offering sacrifices really never comes up. The sacrifices are there. They have a purpose. But it's not doing those things that makes you righteous or good or acceptable in the presence of God. It is there to acknowledge our shortcoming. It is to express our thanksgiving. So giving to God is important. But what I am is of fundamental significance. So here, not only in wanting to be upright, righteous before God, God really looks at what I do in my relationship with people. Now, I've just noticed myself that this point is just coming up all the time whenever I'm sharing something. It just probably means that I didn't notice the significance of this well enough earlier in life. God is very concerned about how we deal with one another. That's part of your relationship with God. How you treat people. He doesn't slander. It's just slander. It's just words. God cares. God cares. Psalm 50, for example. It is part of the indictment that God, when he comes to judge his people, you speak evil about your brother behind his back, he says. And then you thought I was just like you. That's the second part of it. Sometimes, sometimes we continue to indulge in sin because we are not fully appreciating the absolute and utter holiness of God. God doesn't want us to speak ill of other people. Do not slander. And this is often combined with malice. You want to knock somebody, you know, there's rivalry. And you had messages in chapel on this one. Jealousy, the last one you had. Rivalry, jealousy, competition. And all of these then give us sinful motivations for tearing other people down. Bring you a couple pegs down. Then I'm a few pegs up, it seems to me. Not in his sight. Not in his sight. He does not slander with his tongue, does no evil, no evil to someone else. Your neighbor is not a special person. Fellow human beings are your neighbors. Nor takes up a reproach against that is you are not a quarrelsome person making, um, you know, complaints and arguments and criticisms just to pursue conflict. Treat your neighbor as well. You want to be a worshiper? You want to be in the presence of God. You want to have a life that is pleasing to God. Be accepted by God. Be very concerned about how you treat people. 
be gracious, be kind, be without malice. Forgive as often as you need to. Keep your minds free of all of these. You know, sometimes our minds are just afflicted by things. We can't let thoughts about focusing on ourselves go or focusing on other people go. And you need the discipline sometimes. Make yourself, force yourself to sit and read God's word so your mind is torn away from these conflicting thoughts which attack them and become free. And you'll find that you do that enough times that your mind becomes liberated. It is free not to be afflicted by tormenting thoughts about relationships and other people and their attitude and how you feel. You're set free from all of that. God is able to do that through his word. So God is concerned about our being people of integrity who are blameless. He is concerned about our treating one another well. And then thirdly, David brings up here, he wants us to share his values. If he says something is bad, for me, it should be bad. If he says something is good, for me, it is good. You and I do not improve upon the righteousness and justice of God. You can't be more compassionate or merciful than the creator. <laughs> Sometimes we falsely think so. That I'm being more generous than God is being. Don't deceive yourself. In whose eyes a vile person is despised. It's not saying you, you carry on a campaign of berating people who are living in sin. That's not what it means. But call sin, sin. And not only sins of others. <laughs> call your own sin, sin. In whose eyes a vile person, one who is opposed to God, I should have the same attitude toward them as God does. It is amazing how much, you know, when I was much younger, I thought it was quaint that some people took a public stance about, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain. <clears throat> it's not quaint at all. It is important for your commitment. If someone wants to dishonor, in fact, they are very selective, especially in the entertainment media, as to whose name they are willing to take in vain. Not the ones who are going to cut their throat, but of your Lord. They're willing to take it in vain in all kinds of ways. And how should I sympathize with them? Should I be a consumer of the merchandise they bandy? Am I committed to the Lord with any kind of zeal and passion? In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but one who honors those who fear the Lord. You should really hold in high regard those who honor the Lord, want to serve him, are committed to living by him. Do not, do not esteem greater the sinful, corrupt persons in the world who may have achieved I had some person, one person sometimes say, so you know, um, Hitler was in some ways a great man. No, <laughs> he's not a great man. He's no more than Satan is a great thing. Yes, he has power, but not something to be admired, nothing to learn from. Not a model at all. A model for what is wrong and bad. To see what humanity is capable of. 
but nothing not to admire, no way. So we are to side with, this, with God on the side of righteousness and truth, admire things that God values and despise things which are despicable in his sight. And then, this is even more significant. So this, our passage goes between patterns, loyalty to God and being faithful to people. Loyalty to God, being faithful to people. Here, back to faithfulness to people. One who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, we ought to be very wise as we go through life in making promises and commitments. Do not make them, do not make them without thought. Or if you make some commitment without sufficient thought, follow the advice of Proverbs. You find that, oh, I spoke too soon. Don't waste any time. Don't give your eyes sleep. Go to the person that you made the commitment to and get yourself out of it, right? Get yourself out of a contract. But if you made a promise and it is binding, you ought to honor it. It's biblical standard. I learned this you know, as a kid. I made an impression of the importance of keeping one's word. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. See, God is ultimately, what characterizes God as a covenant-keeping God is his truth and his chesed, his covenantal faithfulness, his goodness. He's a promise-keeping God. If God is not a promise-keeping God, you and I have no hope on this earth. <laughs> This is why we're fearful every other day whether we are getting lost or not. If you have put your trust in the Lord in sincerity and you're sincerely following after him, he's not going to let you go. That's what he said. He who comes to me, I will absolutely not cast out. So if you have trusted in him, you can trust him to keep his word, his promise. And he wants you to be like him in regard to the commitments and promises you make. Covenantal faithfulness, promise keeping, being dependable for the commitments you have made and the psalm here, God here anticipates that your calculations may all go awry, right? It may go in directions that you didn't anticipate. You made a promise and a commitment. Oh boy, what did you get into? Well, you got into what, whatever you got into, but that is the commitment and promise before, you God, before God that you made. He wants you to honor your promise. He swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. Back to, and continuing with the theme of just dealing. And I think this focuses mainly on people who are well-to-do, who are part of the people of God. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe. You have either money or you have power. Money or power. And a godly man uses money and power justly and graciously. A godly person uses whatever power and influence you have been given for the benefit of others. If God raises you to places of power and influence, by the way, all of you, try to be in places of influence. It's not sinful. <laughs> to, to have power is not sinful. To abuse power is sinful. Power can be a means of doing good. To be in place of influence is not to be shirked. You use those roles and positions to do whatever good you can to people. 
So this should be, should be part of our outlook as we go through life. To live before God. Both in his truth ruling over my heart. That I am aligned with God in regard to my attitudes, my value judgments. And when I am off, I discover I am off. I make corrections. I uh, get restored, get right and want to keep a perspective. And value judgments which are in harmony with the mind and heart of God. And in doing so, treat my neighbors kindly, lovingly, like myself. Godliness ultimately is to conduct, conduct myself in a way that is completely pleasing to God. May the Lord give us grace to do so.